This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Rotowire's Hockey Podcast Show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My partner on these pods, as always, is AJ Schultz, and you can follow him at AJ Schultz24. That's AJ S-C-H-O-L-Z24. We want to wish all our listeners uh, a very happy New Year since the, it's the first episode of 2018. I'm not going to write that 2017 down, I hope, anytime soon. <laughs> we'll get through that okay. But uh, it's very cold in these parts uh, around Toronto and perfect hockey weather. With the changing of the calendar, we're now pointed toward the second half of the NHL season with trade winds bound to heat up heat up over the next little while. I'm also very excited to report that I'll be recording the next few pods from Central Florida, lucky me. AJ, the festive season is winding down, but we have lots to look forward to in 2018, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always you know a little sad when the, the holiday season ends, but as you said, it's the start of a new year. And hopefully onward to bigger and better things. Uh, I will point out you're cold. Uh, I believe if I'm looking up 14, you know, somewhere in there degrees uh, is nothing to the balmy minus eight. I woke up to this morning. So uh, a little chillier here in Wisconsin, south of the border. Uh, but before we kick off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey or just hockey in general, uh, tweet at us and we'll answer those questions throughout the week. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Schultz 24 and you can follow Paul, the Statsman at Statsman 22. And uh, now we're going to revert back to what we did most of the first half of the season, uh, get away from the grading that we did last week uh, and uh, talk about the stuff that's new and, and interesting about each of the clubs here. There's roster shuffling and there's players that we note on each of the clubs. So let's go through that beginning with, of course, the Anaheim Ducks. And you know what? Uh, we've talked about a lot of other goalies this year, but we haven't mentioned John Gibson too much this year. I mean, he hasn't had posted outstanding numbers, but that's got more to do with the fact that it's been an unhealthy lineup around him for much of the season. And AJ, I look for him to have a big second half now that they've got things in order. They finally get to ice Ketzlaff, Kessler, and Henriquez, their top three centers. Uh, that's probably one of the best trios in the league, maybe the best one when you look top to bottom. So I'm pretty excited about that possibility. And also, I'm going to keep on at an eye on Antoine Vermette, 
who has moved up to the first line there on the left side. So he's going to get better value, I think, and better production in the next little while. Look at the fact that he played 20 minutes in his uh, first game in that situation and picked up three points against Arizona. And uh, I think that could be a portent of things to come. So some some uh, possible upticks in a couple of players on the Anaheim roster. Yeah, it's a little surprising, uh, that Vermette move. And to your point, you know, got some serious, serious ice time. I mean, his average on the season is only 1558. Uh, and the game before they moved him up to that top line, he played less than 10 minutes in the game, but he was also bogged down in an 11 game goal drought, had just two assists over that stretch. And obviously the additional ice time, the, the top assignment suited him well with three points against Arizona. It'll be interesting to see how that stacks up against maybe some of the tougher competition in the league. You know, at the end of the day, it is still the Coyotes uh, that he put some points on, uh, but we'll see what happens there. The one concern I have about that is just one shot on goal in that game. Now it found the back of the net, so hard to beat that, uh, but I'd like to see him shooting the puck a little bit more. But to your point, definitely a player to watch. And I do find it interesting, uh, again, to your point, Paul, that John Gibson, you know, really just kind of coasting through just, right. you know, no, no highs, no lows. Uh, and I think that's that's another great call by you to watch him the rest of the year and see where he shakes out. I think part of that has to do with this defensive core. They've been banged up for much of the season, uh, but you've got guys healthy. Now, I, I obviously have a, some concerns about trading away Vatanen. Uh, I think he would have been really helpful on this blue line, but uh, they still have a ton of really solid guys here. Josh Manson, Brandon Montour, some of the younger guys. So uh, I think things are definitely looking up in the new year for the Ducks. Yeah, you'd like to be able to say that for the Coyotes too, but it just isn't so. They just uh, It seems like they're just destined for the bottom of the league for the next couple of years. They just don't seem to get things right there, they, despite the young talent. We're going to talk about a couple, I'm going to talk about a couple of the guys that have caught my eye. Brennan Perlini is up on the first line of late, and the production is there with three points in his last three games. Your point about the shot total is a concern, too, with this guy. He's only got one shot in each of those three games, but he's made two of them count, so pretty good marksmanship and the minutes are right there where you'd like to see them a minimum of 14 or 15 a game. I expect to see a little bit of an uptick there, particularly with some work on the power play, which he's been getting, and uh, we'll see what he makes of that opportunity. Another guy to watch is Max Domi. I'm waiting for get him to get untracked offensively, so are the Coyotes. He's moved up to over to a center role, and maybe that suits his skill set a little bit better, AJ, because he's done a lot more playmaking than scoring this year. The assists are up, the goal scoring is down. But maybe a move to the center of the ice will help this young guy. He's destined to be the future, maybe one of the leaders on this team in the near future. And it's time for him to really step up. And maybe this is a one way to get him to do it. Absolutely. I, I definitely like that call. Uh, another player I think to watch here, uh, Josh Archibald. Now, this is probably not going to be really necessarily a DFS call unless you're really looking for a contrarian pick. Uh, but you look at his ice time since joining the Coyotes. He's up around 13 and a half ish. Uh, you know, he was seeing less than 10 with the Penguins, only played three games with them. He's already played five uh, with the Coyotes. He's got a goal and an assist, so he's, uh, you know, not lacking for any points. Uh, if you're in a league that needs hits, this might be a guy to target as well. He's got 13 of those uh, in the five games, plus 15 penalty minutes if you award for that as well. Uh, and so, not necessarily your everyday guy, but just for some of our listeners that are in deeper formats. 
And we always talk about wanting to highlight guys in new roles, new places. Josh Archibald might be one just to take a look at, especially in those deeper formats. And with the Boston Bruins, we've got an old face in a, in a new place because he's not on the injured list anymore. That's David Krejci. So the Bruins now have that one-two punch at center that's almost unequaled when you think about the complete game that he and Bergeron offer. They're both candidates annually for the Selkie Award, it seems, uh, as well as for their offensive exploits. And Krejci's right there in terms of his limited number of games. The point production has been right where you want it to be. He'll be working with Jake DeBrusque and Ryan Spooner, two youngsters who have moved their way into top six roles with the Bruins. So I like that fit. And I like Krejci even tonight in the matchup. We'll get to that a little bit later on the show. But this gives the Bruins a healthy forward complement, meaning three scoring lines are intact. And one guy that I want to watch for even in the, in the third line is David Backus. This is a guy that they signed for big bucks. And uh, he's had his trouble staying healthy too, AJ. And I look for him as he gains, gets his game together and a few more games under his belt. I think he can move up into a, into a top six role. And uh, you got to keep an eye on this Boston roster because they are one of the hottest teams in the league. They've actually caught the Leafs in the standings in this division and now have three games in hand on Toronto. And it looks to me like this is one of the locks for a first-round playoff matchup. So I'm going to keep keeping a close eye on the Bruins the rest of the way. But there's a couple of veterans who make this team look a little bit better of late. Absolutely. And one other guy, uh, you know, you talked about with Anaheim, three solid centers down the middle. Definitely don't want to forget Riley Nash, their third line center now that Krejci is healthy. He's got four points in the last three games. To your point, Paul, he's going to be playing with David Backus. That should certainly help his opportunities as well. And Nash is already pretty much, uh, unless he really drops off, almost a lock to have a career year. Uh, Four goals, 12 assists. 16 points, obviously, for 36 games. His career high is 25. So uh, at this pace, if he doubles that on the back half of the season, he'll easily get there. Uh, And I think, again, you know, maybe not an every night guy. He's only seeing kind of minimal usage on the power play, much more uh, utilized shorthanded. But another guy, you know, for deeper formats or for a cheaper option. uh, And to your point, tonight's lineup might be a good time. Uh, to spend a, a low amount at the center position in daily, Riley Nash might be one player to look at. With the Buffalo Sabres, this is another team that's in um, the same mode as Arizona. They're auditioning for the future, and uh, that's reflected in what they've done with their scoring line, top two scoring lines. They flipped the wingers on the two centers, Jack Eichel and Riley, Ryan O'Reilly, still one and two respectively. But now Zengis Gergensen and Sam Reinhardt moved up to the top line. Interesting to note that Sam Reinhardt went 0 for December in terms of a goal-scoring drought. But when the calendar turned, he managed to get a goal yesterday in the outdoor game. So hopefully that's a portent of better things to come from a guy who they spent a very high draft pick and I've talked about before he hasn't delivered the goods and so he needs to start to show something and what better way than to get on the main stage with Eichel so watch for Wright, Reinhardt and Jurgensen to see what they they can do in this role uh, that I look for O'Reilly to be fortunate to get Kane and Cocpozo, two of their more prominent wingers in terms of salary cap and expectation of production to work with him. He's a guy that's struggled a little bit of offensively of late. So these moves are designed to get some people going. And I'm, I'm squarely looking at Reinhardt and O'Reilly in this mix up front. And interesting to note that they paired Scandella and Restelainen on the blue line. Their top two offensive threats defensively on one tandem. That's uh, putting all your eggs on, in one basket on the blue line. And I wonder how, how it'll affect this offense going forward. Well, can we talk a little bit about Robin Lerner and his uh, insane uh, conspiracy theory that, uh, quote, everything is predetermined against us, basically arguing that uh, video reviews 
in Buffalo are automatically going to go against them. Uh, and you know, he extended this beyond just the NHL saying that, you know, it might be just a Buffalo thing in that the Patriots, uh, were going to already win that video review on, on the Kelvin Benjamin catch. So, uh, kind of an interesting stance. Uh, I'm a little surprised, you know, to not see any sort of maybe fine coming from the league on this. Uh, you know, they might just chalk it up to a frustrated netminder and let it go, which I think they should. But in so many cases you see leagues, you know, not just the NHL, uh, punishing people for speaking out against officials. Uh, so if they thought about it, I'm glad they didn't con- actually go through with it, but it is kind of an interesting thing, uh, to at least watch the rest of the way, see what happens, uh, with Buffalo on those reviews. You know, maybe he's just making some noise to maybe get one in their favor, getting the officials heads moving forward. But it was an interesting thing to, for, for somebody to come out and say that the video goal review has already been determined to go against Buffalo, uh, regardless of sport, apparently. Well, there's a hot take early in this episode. And uh, you know what? He's been an interesting quote for much of his career. He's he's out there, as most uh, goalies <laughs> are. Some of them are real space cadets. But uh, maybe Calgary has one of those guys on their hands, too, with Matthew Tachuk, AJ. This guy is a guy who not only is finding his groove as a scorer, but he's finding his way as a real pest around the league in the mode of a Brad Marchand and uh, backing it up with some scoring and some physicality. He doesn't want to hide from anybody out there on the ice. Playing very well of late, and he is forming an interesting second line tandem with Yarmir Jagr, the wily veteran, back in the lineup for Calgary. Hopefully he can stay healthy for a stretch and see what he can deliver in, uh, and hopefully make a case to extend his career. As long as he's around the league at 45 years old, I have to have a soft spot for this guy to see if he can continue a brilliant career and move up those standings. He's getting pretty close to moving up another notch in the games played, too. So I'd like to see him hang around to see uh, how he fares ultimately on those lifetime leaderboards, but also a factor in daily games uh, if he can continue to be a factor offensively the rest of the way. So two, uh, young, two, a youngster and an oldster catching my eye in the Calgary lineup. Well, one guy who's uh, not going to be staying around any longer is Eddie Locke. They traded him away, uh, which I just want to point out and then find an interesting uh, situation. You know, we talked about Locke early in the season as potentially, at least for me, uh, you're a little bit more sold on Mike Smith, but I mentioned Eddie Locke as a potential uh, player to to maybe see some minutes uh, if Smith struggled. Now he's off to another organization. He's with the Devils. And he's not going to see the light of day with New Jersey anytime soon. They've got Kincaid and uh, Schneider locked in as the one, two there. And so uh, an interesting move. I like the the trade for Dalton Prout. I, I don't think he's gotten enough opportunities uh, in the NHL. Whether that happens in Calgary remains to be seen. They've got a pretty solid uh, set of defensemen, especially the top four. I mean, Giordano, Giordano Hamilton, Brody, and Hamannick are pretty much locked in at the top four. Uh, so he may or may not get a chance, probably would take an injury, but just an interesting trade. Uh, I know it won't affect too many of our listeners, but just a, a kind of a interesting situation with the fact that David Ritchie appears to be uh, firmly their number two netminder now uh, with their willingness to get rid of Eddie Lack. Right. And uh, in in Carolina, we can talk about another goaltending tandem that might be switching order based on the fact that Cam Ward has really insinuated himself back into the mix there with some great play of late, winning each of his last six starts. That's uh, during a stretch of the club's last nine games. So he's getting more of the net 
then uh, the big ticket item there in uh, Scott Darling, who's had his struggles this season. So Cam Ward making making noise there. He's only allowed 11 goals in that six-game stretch. So I look for him to play a little bit more, even more in the second half. And in terms of the forward compliment, Sebastian Ajo their first, is now on the first line left wing on his best scoring tear of the season in his last four games. And I'd like to see him get a longer look there. This guy was a, a recent high draft pick who might just be finding his way uh, in the Carolina offense. And another guy that to watch for is Derek Ryan. He continues to hold off Victor Rask and outplay him by a wide margin. And he's continuing to get top six minutes there. That was something that people didn't expect at the beginning of the season. And if you're looking for some offense from a guy who has delivered it consistently all year long, Derek Ryan might be your guy. Well, I want to expand a little bit on on what you were talking about with Cam Ward. Now, for much of the season, I've been talking about him being trade uh, bait for this club. And while his top performance is only going to help uh, bolster what they might get as a return on investment for getting rid of him, Carolina suddenly finds itself just one point out of the wild card spot. And that's largely in part uh, due to the recent performance of Cam Ward. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit too quick uh, to say that they'll trade him prior to the deadline. I doubt they would move Scott Darling. They invested a little bit too much. I think to bring him in to bail on him this quickly. Uh, but it, it is interesting that, you know, maybe we're looking at uh, a Pittsburgh situation from last year here where for much of the season they talked about, oh, the backup's going to get traded, backup's going to get traded. And now suddenly the backup is who they have in goal on a night to night basis. And that certainly uh, changes the dynamic here. Now, uh, I still think he'd be a good fit on a lot of teams. I think his recent performance uh, will you know, really bring in a lot more value that they can get for him. But I just, with them that close to a playoff spot, I just don't see them making the move at this point. Well, one team that is outside the playoff hunt right now, surprisingly, is the Chicago Blackhawks. Even though they're 6-3-1 and one in their last 10, AJ, the Hawks are now 6th in their division. There's big trouble in the nets with Corey Crawford out possibly for a few weeks with an upper body in, in injury. That's a big test for Anton Forsberg with Jeff Glass in reserve. I don't, don't think any Hawks fans anticipate uh, anticipated a long run with that tandem in goal. It's going to be a real challenge for them. Uh, on, in, on defense, we talked highly of Jan, Jan Ruta earlier in the season, but he's now sat out five of his last seven games. The opportunity that he had is something that he didn't make the most of, and now a, a veteran like Cody Franzen has stepped back in, and this guy has a very good shot, shots on goal rate of late, and he's been a key source of uh, offense uh, whenever he's had an extended play in, in the mix here in Chicago, and he's done it before. So Cody Franzen, a guy to keep your eye on if you're looking for some offense from the blue line from an unexpected source. Well, and they're also dealing with the injury to Artem Anisimov. Uh, he's on IR with an upper body injury, and that's really going to stretch the third and fourth lines. Now, Nick Schmaltz has kind of taken over for that second line center role, but you've got a, a youngster in David Kampf who is pretty much untested. You know, he made his NHL debut on December 28th, has now played in three games, no points to show for it uh, so far. And then Tommy Wingles rounding out. Uh, the fourth line in the center role. He's not really well suited to that, more of a winger. Uh, so they're kind of uh, fitting a, a square peg into a round hole on this one. So I really think without Anisimov, this depth gets stretched, and that's really, really going to hurt them uh, if they're going to hope to make a playoff push. So lack of depth and your number one netminer injured. Uh, there's obviously some pieces you want to keep, but it may not be a bad time to sell on the Blackhawks heading into the rest of the season. 
Well, and Colorado's got a guy in Nile Yakupov. This guy is using up all of his nine lives. As he's, if he's a cat, he's on his ninth <laughs> line, life for sure, AJ, right now. He's back on a second-line scoring role with an improved shots-on-goal rate of late, the impetus for this change. And so we'll see what he can do with this opportunity. He's only got a couple of points in his last six games, but been in and out of the lineup so much this year. It's hard to have confidence in him. Last chance saloon for him, I do believe. He'll replace JT Comfer, who will miss at least the next four games with an upper body injury. So that's a key audition for, for the former number one overall pick. On defense, Nikita Zadorov is a person of interest for me too. Now that he's produced five points in his last seven games, and he's joined Eric Johnson on the top D pairing there. So it's another one where they uh, a team has paired two offensively-minded defensemen to see what they can get out of that mix. Uh, it's a suspect defense pair, defensive pairing. So if your plus-minus is an issue, I would uh, shy away from both those guys. But we'll see what they can do offensively. Absolutely. And a lot of that has to do uh, with Tyson Berry being out. Uh, He's on injured reserve as well with a hand injury. It's not really uh, four to six weeks was the time frame. So you're looking at late January uh, at the earliest. And so uh, to, to our previous point, you know, you're looking at an already kind of even with Barry in this group is a little suspect uh, in that plus minus category, but without him, I think it's only going to get worse. And to your point about Nail Yakupov, if you're betting on him uh, to come out of you know whatever recent slump he's in, uh, I think you're probably better off just you know donating that money, uh, <laughs> burning it. I mean, really, uh, this guy has has let so many people down as far as betting on him to have a breakout season. Uh, for me, the last chance saloon was uh, last season with Florida. Uh, I'm certainly not buying in on him at any point uh, in in the future here. Um, I'm sorry, not Florida. He was with St. Louis with the Blues. Uh, But, you know, that followed uh, several disappointing years in Edmonton. This is not a guy to buy, in my opinion. So uh, down on him, regardless of what role they could put him on the top line. I'm still not buying in on him. I'm with you right there. Columbus is a team that's really starting to struggle with some key injuries. Cam Atkinson broke his foot. And he joins Brandon Dubinsky, who broke his orbital bone in a fight. Both these guys are on long-term IR, and that's a tough blow for a Columbus team we're expecting a lot from. They join Alex Wenberg, a third top six forward, if you will, that's missing from this group. And that means another chance for a couple of guys to move up. And that's what we're all about here, pointing those opportunities out. Sonny Milano is going to get high, more high leverage minutes. This guy is an offense first type player. And so I look for big things from him if he gets a scoring opportunity. The same might be true for one Oliver Bjorkstrand, who has already started to get bigger regular minutes and power play time. So there's two young names to watch while some uh, key ones are out of the lineup over in Columbus. Well, I'll throw a third young, <clears throat> excuse me, young name out there. And Josh Anderson, uh, the 23-year-old, has seen a pretty significant uh, uptick in power play ice time, 344 in his last three games. Uh, that's compared to a 126 season, season average with a man advantage. And it's paying off for him. He's got three points in those three outings. Uh, so he's getting a shot on that top line. Uh, and, you know, I think he... Uh, he tends to be a little bit of a, of a streaky player, in my opinion, a couple games off, couple games on, um, but nothing too long. There's no real lengthy stretches. If you look at his season long, uh, game log in that, there's nothing where it carries out really beyond three games. So if you see him, uh, starting to get cold for a game or two, it might be time to snatch him up and try and use him. 
uh, because that, that turnaround for him just seems to always be right there, always right around the corner. Uh, and so uh, the top line uh, assignment is only going to help uh, eliminate the length of any uh, droughts for him. Dallas is another team, AJ, with some roster shuffling. Devin Shore has been moved up to the top line once again that now features Ben and Sagan together where they were centering separate lines a couple of weeks ago. I like the move also of Radulov onto a second line with Jason Spezza, who's picked up four assists in his last six games and improved his shots on goal rate. Radulov is uh, a guy that could help fire him up and really solidify a second unit to give him two good scoring attacks. Matthias Janmark as another guy that's caught fire offensively, he's playing second line left wing. So that second unit is one that I'll keep an eye on. Janmark, for his part, four points in his last three games. Well, and you've got Ben Bishop seemingly back on track as well. Four wins in his last five games with a 1.58 goals against average, 0.946 save percentage there for him. And so having him firing on on all cylinders, plus the potential that they're going to get Mark Mathot back sooner rather than later, uh, potentially as early as today. We'll see if that shakes out. It it might be a little bit soon, but uh, getting him back, you know, this Mark Mathot's not a player that's going to rack up a bunch of uh, fantasy points for you. But if you're, if you've got Ben Bishop or uh, any other players, he might help in that sense by stabilizing a, a defense that's already done a pretty uh, good job of late and having that 32 year old, you know, defensive minded guy out there is only going to help, especially for Bishop. In Detroit, Luke Lindenning was enjoying a nice scoring surge of late until he broke his hand last week, but he'll now miss much of the next month. Uh, that gives a guy like Thomas Tatar a chance to step up as a second line left wing, and, and he has an opportunity to go on a real tear if he continues to average the three shots on goal and get big power play time as he's been doing in recent games. Another guy to watch there is young Tyler Bertuzzi. He's given a great shot as the top right winger. He's shown a nose for the net with three assists in his last three games played and could thrive with this expanded opportunity. So, again, injuries create opportunities for other players, and uh, we point these two players out for your use. Yeah, and another one to to that uh, point, Anthony Mantha has missed two in a row, and that's uh, kind of opened the door for uh, Athanasio to get out of kind of that bottom six, uh, you know, prison effectively that he was in. Uh, I mean, at one point they had this guy playing fourth line center, uh, so he's going to get a shot on the second line with Thomas Tatar and Dylan Larkin. Uh, largely to your point, Paul, due to injuries to other players. So uh, if he performs well and if Bertuzzi kind of struggles, you could see that flip as well and have AA up with Zetterberg and Nyquist uh, very quickly. So uh, both those guys are key to watch. And don't sleep on Martin Furk either. He could challenge for some extra minutes. He When he's been in the lineup, He's done decently well, especially for, you know, for all intents and purposes, a rookie. He played two games last year. Uh, so the 24 year old brand new. So that right wing spot, I do think is very fluid and could move around. So you'll want to pay attention to that prior to lineup lock. And in Edmonton, I'm going to take an in, a different turn here talking about uh, the, the team situation. But first, I want to point out Jesse Pugliarvi, a top pick in the draft a couple of years ago, really starting to find his groove on a first-line right wing with McDavid and Lucic. He's picked up seven assists in, a, in his last handful of games. Uh, and I like the fact that he's got 34 shots on goal in an 11-game stretch, too, talking about the fact that his shots on goal rate should lead to some goal scoring, too. 
But uh, overall, uh, concern here is uh, the fact that Talbot has allowed 13 goals in his last three games, but he's faced at least 36 shots on goal against. That's the club's biggest issue. And I look at the defensive complement here with names like Nurse, Clefbaum, Sakara, Russell, Larson, and Benning. That's some, there's some really good talent there. Uh, on, it should be good offensively and defensively, but they're not getting the mileage out of this, this group that they should. And that reflects on a team concept, I think, and maybe even ultimately on the coach. So I think they, they're a lot of people that have to answer for what's going on in Edmonton. I don't like the fact that they give up so many shots on goal with what I think is a, a more skilled complement of, of blue liners than, than should be allowing these totals. Absolutely. Uh, and to back up your point on, on Pooley Arby, uh, his shooting percentage right now is 13.1. Now his shots are, are just 61. You compare that to Connor McDavid, who's got 110. So he's obviously shooting the puck a little bit less. Uh, but to highlight that a couple other guys that are, you know, have pretty high shooting percentages on this team right now, you've got Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, 15.6%. And then the leader, Juhar Kahiri, 18.9% for him. Now, he's another one. His shots are pretty low. It's just 37. So for me, if you're looking at shooting percentage guys to maybe target uh, guys that, you know, are getting the puck off a lot and finding the back of the net with it, R&H is definitely the guy for me. Like I said, 15.6 in the shooting percentage, 96 shots on the year. His point per game, unsurprisingly with those numbers, is just point uh, just, uh, right around 0.75 uh, and so he's capitalizing on opportunities, getting the puck off of his stick. And so for me, he's one guy to really keep an eye on, especially as it seems he's unseated Leon Dreisaitl in that second line center role, although they could certainly flip periodically. In Florida, I get the, ch- the chance to talk about two of my favorite players that aren't in Leaf uniforms uh, these days. One is uh, the fact that I've been a big fan of James Reimer, ex of the Leafs, for a long while and expected him to go on a nice streak at some point since assuming the total workload in Luongo's injury absence. How does five straight wins, including two shutouts and only six goals against, grab you, AJ? That's pretty good work from this uh, alleged backup goalie. I'm equally impressed with Nick Bukestad up front, who's thriving at finally in a first-line role on the right wing as he's collected seven points in his last nine games and averaged over three shots on goal through the month of December. So that's two guys that didn't factor in as core pieces in Florida that are elevating this club uh, of late. Yeah, I, I like what you're selling there, Paul. Uh, the one concern I have for these guys is, is the power play. Uh, you know, looking at some, you know, their power play stats of the last five games, you've got Vincent Trocek with none, Jonathan Huberdeau with none. So they're really, really struggling, uh, you know, beyond just the five on five opportunities uh, to get, you know, pucks to the, to the back of the net and so that's a that's a concern for me, not only from, you know, just a, a fantasy standpoint, you know, you get a little bit of an added bonus uh, for points on the power play. Some leagues have it as a whole separate category. So that's also going to hurt you. But if you're struggling in, in uh, power play situations, that's going to carry over into what you can do and even strength. And you're going to see struggles throughout the lineup in, the, in that sense. So I really want, you know, hopefully they can figure that out. Uh, it, it's you know, not, it's certainly not looking good of late, uh, you know, what they're doing in that situation. So if they can't figure it out, I'm going to start selling on some of these guys, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. In LA, my call for a reduction in Alex Iafalo's role as a first liner has finally come to pass. AJ Tanner Pearson is now on that top line. 
And Marion Gabrick is playing second line minutes on the port side now. Uh, that's what's happening up front. On defense for the fourth straight year, Jake Muzzin will hit the century mark in both hits and block shots. That Now that he's playing with Doughty, the points are also on the rise, making him a rare commodity among defensemen when you look at those three defensive categories. Yeah, and you don't want to forget about Jonathan Quick between the goals either. Uh, he's got three wins, one loss, and, and an overtime loss in his last five games. His goals against average is just under two at 1.99. So he, everything seems to be working for this team right now. There are obviously, to your point, Paul, some question marks at forward. Some guys moving around different roles. They need to find the right combination there. But if they can get that all squared away, you know, uh, to your point about Pearson, you know, he's got no points in his last five games, but getting an opportunity on that first line should hopefully shake something free there. 11 shots in those five games. So decent, not great, but decent uh, from that standpoint. So if, if they can figure out that, the solid defense, solid net mining should re- really carry this team. In Minnesota, AJ, the big news here is that Zach Parise has completed a conditioning assignment with Ottawa, with Iowa, the Wilds AHL affiliate, and he'll be ready to go uh, later this week. Uh, that'll make up for the fact that Nino Niederreiter has missed the last four games with an ankle injury, but should be go good to go possibly for their Thursday game. These moves will ultimately solidify the top two lines, but uh, minimize opportunities for guys like Chris Stewart who uh, burned up his chances early on the season. And it'll be tough to see him, uh, unexpected, uh, in my opinion, to get him a top six minutes the rest of the way. Yeah, you should have, they should have Parisi available tonight, uh, which is you know going to be, to your point, a huge, huge boost. Uh, I, I do think the Niederreiter injury is going to hurt them uh, more than they would expect. Uh, again, to your point about the lack of depth, but if they can get him back on Thursday... This would be probably the first time, uh, you know, Parisi's been out all season. So this would be the first time they really have a healthy, healthy uh, lineup here, uh, which, you know, they're, they've got 43 points. They're fifth in the central division right now. So they are definitely on the outside looking in, but that's only uh, one point behind uh, the ducks for the final wildcard spot in the Western conference. So they're right in the thick of it. Obviously, a lot of that will have to do on on Devin Dubnik, who missed some time due to injury. Uh, If he can stay healthy and and get back on track, uh, this is a dangerous team uh, heading into the back half. Uh, In Montreal, boy, the natives are really getting restless in the La Belle Provence. Uh, It doesn't help that Jonathan Drouin has one assist and a minus eight rating in his last nine games, AJ. Also, Arturi Lekkonen has been moved up to the top line to see if he can find chemistry and ignite the struggling pivot. So that'll be a pairing to watch because they've tried a number of people there. It just hasn't worked out yet. He, too, has only one helper in his last five games. So maybe it's two guys that are struggling will get together and help each other out. But it's indicative of a team-wide issue here as the club's only scored three goals in their last four games. It's uh, tough times in Montreal. Well, and it's probably exasperated by the fact that uh, Mikhail Sergachev is having a pretty uh, fantastic year with Tampa Bay, 25 points in 38 games. Uh, We can talk about him more, but I just want to highlight him as far as, you know, flopping Druin for him. Uh, That trade doesn't appear to be uh, paying off for them. And I'm not sure the Shea Weber uh, PK Subban is really, uh, you know, worked out for them either with Weber. Uh, dealing with this lingering foot injury. He's on IR. Uh, and so their recent trade moves to bring in guys that are supposed to, 
turn things around or, or at least be a different look have not really paid off at all. Uh, you know, Al Montoya is another guy that they brought in. Uh, he's been on, you know, out with a concussion. And so, uh, just a handful of moves and transactions that they've made that some of it's unfortunate. Some of it's due to injury. It's hard to blame that on the front office, but you have to imagine if something doesn't change here soon, uh, this is going to be a, a, a front office in flux heading into next season, if not sooner. Yeah, and you can add the name of Max Pacioretty into the trade rumor mill, and it's uh, not often that a team has its captain in, involved in tra- alleged trade talks, and that could be another w- trade, no matter what they get in return, that could wind up burning him because he's a, typically a 30-goal scorer right now, having trouble to find finding which end uh, the opposing net is, it seems. It's really a struggle <laughs> for him, too. In Nashville, Ryan Ellis will jo- rejoin the lineup tonight, finally making his debut this season, giving the Preds an unparalleled depth and quality on their defense. On the downside, though, Philip Forsberg missed their last game and is unlikely to suit up until this weekend at the earliest with his injury situation. Callie Yarncroft filled in for him and collected two assists in his last game while logging over 20 minutes of playing time. That's a season high for him in this new, albeit temporary, role, but uh, as long as Forsberg's out, uh, Yarncroft looks like he'll be into that primo opportunity. Well, and this is a team that's, uh, you know, getting uh, help from all avenues. You've got uh, the backup uh, UC Saros with two wins and one overtime loss in his last four outings. And three of those uh, appearances, one in relief, but three of those appearances, he didn't allow any pucks to find the back of the net. Uh, And so when you're getting shut out performances from your backup that'll really uh, obviously help uh, you know Peke Rene has actually been a little inconsistent as of late uh, he's just two and three with a 3.21 goals against average now certainly you know there's no flipping here Rene is their number one uh, regardless of of how well Saros might perform but they might at least give the 35 year old Rene a few more nights off with Saros doing so well I know, you know, they've sent him uh, Saros down to the minors several times just to get him more ice uh, to begin with. So if they can kind of combine those two uh, motivations, you know, Saros more more looks and goal, Rene a few more days off. Uh, I, I think this is uh, an interesting tandem to watch moving forward. Again, I'm not suggesting uh, Pika Rene is not going to be the number one here, but you might see Saros playing a little more consistently uh, than he has in the past. A lighter Christmas schedule has afforded a number of teams to get healthier, and you, you can add the New Jersey Devils to that list. They are back at full strength, which means you can look for Marcus Johansson and Kyle Palmieri to be back in second-line roles around Travis Zajac. That, of course, means a reduction in roles for guys like Gibbons and Coleman, who scored and filled in above expectations in the absence of these two veteran players. On defense, John Moore has carried a hot stick for the blue line, adding three goals in his last five games, and is back on pace to reach double digits in goals for the second straight season. I believe he got 12 last year, and he's halfway there this year. A prolific shot rate makes me confident about the fact that he can continue to be productive from the back end. Absolutely. And I mentioned him earlier when we talked about the Ducks, so I'll mention him again. Sammy Vatnin, he's got three points in his last three games. And you want to talk about high shot rates. He's put 12 shots on goal over that stretch, uh, averaging over 22 minutes a night. That includes a minute uh, uh, 12-ish on the power play over that over that three-game stretch where he's finding the back of the net. Uh, and so uh, I, I think he is off to a great start to the season. 
Uh, he has just as many points for the, the Devils as he did for Anaheim, but I expect him to start producing a little more consistently moving forward. I, I think his his numbers with the Ducks were a little disappointing, and it's taken him a little while to get going offensively. Uh, so look for him to, to have a big second half moving forward. And then we move to the New York Islanders, another team that's struggling with team defense. It's been a huge issue here as they've given up at least four goals in six of their last nine games. The outlook is not helped by the news that Johnny Boychuk's injury is possibly a long-term one, so the Isles will miss a veteran who can eat up over 20 minutes of playing time every night. Clearly, that leads me to a decision to fade Halak and Grice indefinitely in DFS play as they have not been able to stem the tide against this defensive shortfall. With a potent offense and pressure to impress their soon-to-be free agent captain, I expect this club will be a big player at the trade deadline to fix what ails them on the blue line. Absolutely. I, I think that's a great call, Paul, uh, because, you know, you look at the the stats for a goal scored per game this season. They're right there in, in the top of the mix. They're third right now with 3.44. But to your point, when you looked at goals allowed, they're the worst or tied for the worst in the league at 3.54 with a team like Arizona. Uh, so a lot of that's net minding. But I do think, to your point, the the blue line is the is the key problem here. And I think it's also slightly to blame on, on their penalty kill. Uh, it hasn't been great of late. They, you know, they've been uh, struggling with that as well. So that's just going to make things worse. A 73.9 uh, penalty kill, which is second uh, worst in the league behind only the Oilers. You want to talk about teams with problems <laughs> in multiple areas. Uh, so uh, the, the opposing teams are going to get goals that they might not get the win because to your point of the offense, but opposing teams are at least going to score against this club. So uh, it might be a way to capitalize in, in the matchups that you're seeing on a night to night basis. For the New York Rangers, a blood clot in his right arm, a serious concern for Chris Kreider. Keep him, we'll probably keep him out for a long, long while. We hope he gets through that okay, obviously. In his absence, Vinny Letieri was called up as a result of that news, and he scored a goal in his first game. Looked pretty good to me. A quad, Another quad injury will also sideline Jesper pass, fast for a few weeks. That means opportunity is also calling for the likes of Pavel Buknevich to move up from a bottom six role. He's already topped his goal scoring from last season and will now see bigger minutes in the top six. So you wonder if Buknevich might be a guy that emerges as a, a go-to guy in the Rangers offense in the coming weeks. I definitely think he could be. Uh, you know, I, I like, you know, what he can offer as as far as the rest of that lineup goes. And But I ultimately, I, I see JT Miller moving back into that top six role uh, in this spot. Now, he did get two points uh, yesterday uh, in that more of a third line role. So maybe they want to stretch the death out. Certainly can't blame them for that. Uh, but I do think ultimately you'll see a guy like JT Miller, who's got 27 points through the first half of the season, uh, slot back in uh, to that top, uh, top six uh, responsibility. There are some high-end forwards who are underperforming. We've talked about them. Another guy who who caught our ire is Matt Duchesne, but it's looking like he's starting to get a little more comfortable in this offense. That, despite the fact that uh, he's trying to offset some of the hardships the goalies are having. They're both sporting goals against average in the threes, and that's not good news either. Uh, all of this is underscored by the fact that their best player, Eric Carlson, now sports a minus 20. So I wonder if uh, that might hurt his marketability if this team does want to be serious about trading their best player and captain. 
It does also uh, concern me that Mike Hoffman has been relegated to a third-line role and is apparently the subject of trade rumors. This is a guy who brings instant offense to the mix, and yet he's he's relegated to that bottom six, while a plugger like Tom Pyatt, much less pl- talented player, is taking on second-line minutes. I just think there's so much going wrong in Ottawa that they're just throwing names into a hat right now to draw their lineup together. I don't like that at all. Absolutely. They're they're putting names into a hat and then dropping it in a blender just to see what comes out. Uh, to your point about plus minus concerns, you've got a guy like Zach Smith is a minus 15. Hoffman, who you highlighted, is a minus 12. And Duchesne, we've talked about his struggles. He's a minus 10 on the year. And so everybody is really struggling with that plus minus. Uh, it, it worries me with Carlson only because it means he's not producing as much. This guy is on the ice all the time, 26 minutes uh, on the year. And so he's going to pick up some minuses. You know, we've seen this at other points in his career. Even last year when he had, you know, 71 points, he was only a plus 10 on the season. And, And again, that's because he's on the ice all the time. So the minuses don't concern me. As far as, you know, what he's doing, it, it, it more is indicative of the lack of scoring. You know, he's only got three goals on the year. At this point, he might struggle to reach 10, which hasn't happened to him since uh, 2012-13 when he had just six. Uh, and so if he's not finding a way to score, you're going to see those minuses rack up just because he is always, always on the ice. A question came my way from a friend of our show, Daniel Negrano at Real Kid Poker last week, AJ. I don't know if you saw it, but he was questioning the Flyers' usage of Nolan Patrick, the second overall draft pick last year, who's rarely been playing top six minutes, particularly in the past month. He got a season low nine minutes, 23 seconds of playing time his last start out. I don't like that, and it makes no sense. If you're not going to play a top draft pick, put him back to junior and let him hone his skills over there. On the other hand, the same coaching coaching staff is developing a pretty nice looking and young defense core so while they're not affording opportunity to the young draft pick up front they're giving all kinds of chances to guys like Robert Half, Brendan Manning, Shane Gossesbear and company on the blue line to develop a very young but very good looking defense core so uh, two different treatments for for different players on the roster that don't equate to me but uh, I like what's going on in one case don't like it on the other side. Well, I do think part of part of the issue here is is Patrick's production. You know, he's stuck in an 18 game goal drought right now. And if you look at the start of that goal drought, he logged almost 15 minutes, about 13, 12, again, around 13. So he was, you know, kind of mid teens for a while. And then it's kind of slowly tailed off uh, towards the end. I do think they need to do something different with him. Uh, in order to, you know, jumpstart him at this point, whether that's a stint in the AHL or, or uh, I wouldn't really send him back to juniors at, at this point. Uh, you know, I think he's logged too many games. Uh, I think that would be too big of a blow. But if you could move him down to the minors uh, just for a little bit, just to kind of get him going again, it might not be the worst idea because to your point, having him sit on the bench for all but you know eight to nine minutes of a game isn't going to do him really any good and in pittsburgh we've been wondering about chris Latang's ability to play every game well we can stop it because he's now missed three games last week the first three games of the season with a lower body injury he, you pair that with schultz's continued injury absence that's big trouble for the pens blue line i think 
While they continue to struggle to fill out the Blue Line Brigade, they're able to call up another prolific scorer up front with Daniel Sprong to replace the injured Brian Rust. The Pens are clearly going to be targeting defensemen at the trade deadline, but they'll have company in that search, as we pointed out, and we'll continue to point out with some of the other teams down the rest of this list. Oh, man, Paul, this team is just so bad right now. And it, I, you can blame the injuries all you want. I mean, Justin Schultz and Chris Letang, if they get those guys back, that's certainly going to help. Uh, you know, losing Brian Rust, I think, is an injury that should easily be overcome by this team. And it all has to go, you know, with the the guys that are responsible. You know, you look at Crosby, uh, six game goalless streak with just two assists. Evgeny Malkin is uh, the kind of the one still doing something right now. He's got eight points in the last seven games. But even like Phil Kessel, who's had a, a pretty strong season, for him to have just one goal in the last eight games, yes, he's got four assists to chip in during that stretch. But this is a guy that's supposed to be your elite sniper uh, in a second line role. Now, I think moving him to the third line was a terrible decision. Uh, he's not meant to be with a, a couple of grinders and uh, he's better off with Malkin or put him with Crosby. I, I don't know why they don't think they can do that. Uh, his, in fact, his only goal in that stretch came on the power play and guess who's who he's on the ice with on the power play Malkin Crosby, uh, at the time. Well, Latang was out by the time he had that, but those are usually the guys that he's out there with. And so I, it's on those guys to figure it out. I do wish Mike Smith would kind of stop tinkering every single night with different combinations. Let some guys play with who they're comfortable with for a few games. If it doesn't work, then change it. But it's been night in, night out, trying to find something else that works. And and I just don't like that. It's something that we didn't see from the Penguins last year. They were very consistent in their lines last season with a few exceptions. Uh, and so I, they need to figure something out. And that also goes to Matt Murray. Uh, his performance have, have been subpar to say the least of late since coming back from injury, uh, three wins, four losses and a 3.07 goals against average. And those are losses uh, to teams like Detroit, uh, Tristan Jari lost to Carolina. So that's not really on Murray, but, uh, Colorado was a loss in there as well. So they're just not performing against teams that they should be dominating. I could go on and on. I'll, I'll cut it off there. Um, but I'm very frustrated with this Penguins team right now. If you, if our listeners can't tell <laughs> that mini rant, uh, Penguin fans was brought to you by the, arguably their number one fan and AJ, you've had two cups. <laughs> Come on, go easy here. <laughs> the San Jose Sharks, Logan Couture reclaimed his first line role after missing uh, four games last week. Get him into your lineups as soon as possible. That's the quick offensive note up front. There's more good news around the corner as Paul Martin's about to rejoin this lineup and take up his spot alongside Brent Burns, who's already got his offensive game going but is struggling with a minus 16 rating. That'll improve, I think, as soon as he gets Paul Martin back and feels the comfort of, of the, the partner, the longtime partner that has worked with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you talked about a little bit of the good that's going for them. So I'll be the counterpoint in the bad here, as it always seems to be. Uh, <laughs> right now on their top line, they've got Yannick Hansen uh, playing that left wing spot. He doesn't have any goals on the year. Now he's played just 25 games. He hasn't, you know, he's not playing every single night. But for a top line left winger to not have any goals, 
In fact, all of last season split van between Vancouver and San Jose, he had just eight. So I'm not really sure why this guy's getting top line minutes. He, in my opinion, he's just not a top line guy, but you know, you look at some other options they've got on that left side, uh, Melker Carlson, no goals in his last seven, just one assist to show for it. Uh, Timo Meyer might be the only one that's really doing anything. He's in a third line role, three goals over the last seven games. So maybe it's a good chance to move him up there. Uh, Marcus Sorensen's another guy they've shuffled around different places in this lineup. So they need to find an answer on that left wing spot. I don't think it's Yannick Hansen. Uh, for me, the best option for them is going to be Timo Meyer. But this is one for, for fantasy owners to watch. Who's going to be up there with Couture and Pavelski moving forward? Uh, and, and, you know, that's going to be a, a plum assignment. So you're going to want to capitalize on whoever it might be. Uh, I just think it, it needs to be someone other than Yannick Hansen at this point. With St. Louis, I'll talk about one guy who's also in a scoring funk. That's Paul Stastny, only producing two assists in his ten, last 10 games. That's hardly what you're expecting from a guy who is in the top six, uh, one of the top two centers on this team, night in, night out. Possibly not finding any chemistry with new wingers owing to a rash of hurts on both flanks. Uh, so that might be hampering his game. Uh, one of the guys on the wings who's doing okay is Tage Thompson, uh, head of other experienced wingers. He's getting 15 minutes of playing time right now and, and not, not a name on the tip of too many DFS fantasy tongues. Uh, offense is an issue here as they've only scored more than two goals in only three of their past 11 games. So maybe it's more of a team-wide malaise than just Paul Stastny. Well, and Jake Allen's part of it too. Uh, you know, we've talked about how streaky he can be. Uh, he's got one win in his last seven games, uh, six losses over the stretch, not even getting overtime losses to earn a couple points here and there. Now his goals against average is 2.68. So that's not terrible. So obviously some of the blame there falls on the offense. You know, two of those losses were just two uh, goal performances. So hard to really blame him for that necessarily, but he's, he's a very streaky netminder. He'll go on big runs. You know, this seven game struggle comes on the heels of a stretch where he won eight games in 11 outings. And so if you can time it right, if he starts to, you know, he had the night off against Carolina might be rested for their next game. If he can time it right, Jake Allen's a great play. If you get him while he's on an upswing, uh, but he can really sink you when he, when he hits these down, these down stretches. The Bol- uh, in Tampa, the Bolts have lost their experienced backup goalie, Peter Budai, with a leg injury. They'll sign-line him for the next several weeks. In his place, Louis Domingue has been called up to be the backup in his absence, but Vasilevsky's handled the big load with no problem at all, so that shouldn't be anything of a problem for Tampa. While six players have 10-plus goals already offensively, Andre Palat, who's logging time as the current second-line left wing, has been goalless in his last 15 games, yet this guy's still a plus 16. That stats line tells a couple of stories to me, AJ, not to worry about the fact they can carry a guy who isn't scoring like this uh, because they've got so much help around him and uh, he'll get, he'll break out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One guy that we've talked about a little bit that has uh, seemingly broken out of his slump is, is Victor Hetman. He's got 12 points in his last nine games. Now that's only two goals. You know, you'd like to see that number of goals a little bit higher, but overall in his career, he's never really hit the 20 goal mark. Uh, it was a career high last season with 16. So he's going to tend to be more of an assist production guy. Uh, and so, 
you know, you look at it, he had 29 assists on the power play last season, uh, just four goals. He's doing about the same this year as well with 11 assists and one goal with the man advantage. Uh, so that's really what you're going to get out of him. And then I talked about him briefly. I'll mention him just again. Mikhail Sergachev has been phenomenal for Tampa Bay this year. Uh, a great, great trade uh, by the front office there for everything that Montreal has done wrong. It seems of late uh, Tampa Bay has done right. Uh, timing out trades effectively bringing in the right guys uh, in the right combinations. And Mikhail Sergachev at 19 years old just further uh, enhances everything that front office has been able to do. In Toronto, the Maple Leafs completed a long road trip over the holidays, collecting five points in five games, but also revealed a troubling lack of defensive zone proficiency while missing Nikita Zaitsev, a top-pairing guy who played over 20 minutes per game over the last two weeks. He's going to be out for the rest of this month, potentially. That means regular shifts are going to slower guys like Roman Polak and Marty Marinson, and it's exposed a glaring weakness on the back end. Up front, they've also been without Nazem Kadri at centre, and that's been a problem too because he usually gets the top defensive assignment against number one line so uh, some issues with the Leafs uh, but going forward they face a very heavy home schedule and only one more game road game uh, on the outside of the eastern time zone over the rest of the schedule that should help this team get its game in order and they should be able to pile up some serious points over the second half the other problem the Nazem Kadri injury is going to cause is they're going to move Patrick Marlowe to a third line center role now Patrick Marlowe is a veteran he can play in my opinion, any spot and, and do just fine. But I think the problem is that it stretches out the rest of the team. You know, there could be an argument that maybe that third line is actually the second line. You could flip those two very easily, but either way, the fact that you have to move Marlowe to a different line uh, and kind of uh, stretch things out, I, I don't love it for their long-term outlook. And, you know, to the, to your point about the Zaitsev injury, yeah, right now it looks like Roman Polak, but it might mean that Paul's favorite player, Connor Carrick, gets a few more outings. Uh, if you've followed Paul on Twitter at all, you know how much he's a huge fan of Connor Carrick. Uh, and so, no, it's that, Jake Gardner. Oh, I'm sorry, Jake Gardner. Yes, uh, <laughs> Jake Gardner's the one. <laughs> but either way, you know, Carrick uh, is still. Uh, a young player. So he's got time to develop, uh, but he's certainly not an offensive minded player. Uh, and anytime you're stretching things out like that uh, on your blue line, I, I do think it's, it's a sign of potential problems coming. You've got Curtis McElhinney is also dealing with an injury. Calvin Picard should uh, handle any assignments he gets uh, in, you know, in relief of Freddie Anderson, but it could mean that they rely on Anderson a little bit heavier and you look at his two last outings, they were anything but stellar, giving up a combined nine goals uh, in those contests. So uh, the goaltending situation looking a little shaky for me as well. In Vancouver, Thomas Vanek is among the most added players in the entire fantasy game as he exploded with a four-point game and a separate five-point game over his last six starts. He's, to me, one of those guys who thrives on a bad team. He doesn't want to be involved in competitive games, AJ, or high-stakes affairs, it seems. He plays his best games when there's no pressure on him. That's the situation right now in Van City. Sam Gagne is another veteran who's enjoyed more ice time of late with seven points in his last seven games while others are still sidelined. So look for those two veterans to continue to pile up big minutes and get great opportunities to pad their stats in what looks like a pretty helpless situation going forward in Vancouver. Well, and the fact that they didn't miss any time for Brock Bozer has really helped as well. He's got eight points in the last five games. 
And he's on the right-hand side of that top line with uh, Thomas Vanek. They've got Sam Gagne in there as well. Uh, I'm not uh, certain he's a top line uh, player in my opinion, but he's, you know, racked up some decent points, six in the last five. So uh, maybe he is, you know, maybe he just hasn't gotten a shot uh, recently in that role. You know, he put up some decent numbers with Columbus last year. Uh, and so might be finding their stride here. Uh, the Sedins are on the second line with Louis Erickson again. Uh, that hasn't really panned out for much to the year. I don't expect it to moving forward. Uh, I just don't know that Erickson's the best guy to go with them. I'd like to see a Jake Vertanen uh, in that s- slot. Uh, the nice part about Gagne and Vanek getting going is that it might give them the opportunity to put you know, Bo Hyrvat and Sven Berti with somebody other than Bosher and spread out, uh, some, you know, some scoring once those guys are able to return. So it'd be interesting to see what this, uh, Canucks team does the rest of the way. The Las Vegas story just continues to roll along, doesn't it? I got a good look at this squad on New Year's Eve and we'll have more to say about them as a whole a bit later. I'll focus here on Willie Carlson, who used a five goal, one assist week to become the club's first 20 goal scorer in their young history he's also a plus 15 on the season Riley Smith who we advise is thriving in a second line role a couple of weeks ago continues to roll along with seven points in his last six games that's just indicative of all things going right here for Las Vegas the Knights are on a seven game win streak right now heading into tonight's games you have to be impressed I know I am well and surprise surprise Marc-Andre Fleury four wins and one overtime loss in his five games back Uh, So he's earning his team plenty of points when he's in the lineup, has yet to lose in regulation since coming back from that concussion, a 1.56 goals against average over that stretch. You know, we said this was a dangerous team without him. They're they're becoming nearly unbeatable with him. Uh, Malcolm Subban and his relief appearances has uh, looked great as well. You know, since Fleury came back, Subban's undefeated with three wins. You add in what he did uh, in the last few games before Fleury came back, and Subban's got six consecutive wins between the pipes. Uh, This is a a nearly unstoppable team right now. In Washington, Devontae Smith-Pelly's replaced Tom Wilson beside Ovechkin and Backstrom on the top line, while Wilson drops back to a third-line right-wing assignment. We're also keeping an eye on Matt Niskanen, who's listed as day-to-day with an upper-body injury. John Carlson, for his part, is on pace for his best points total as the other go-to defenseman here. Christian Jews is a third D-man who's shown an improved offensive upside lately, passing Dmitry Orlov, in my opinion, in that vein, as the latter has only got one point in his last nine starts. Well, to your point about uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly, got 16 minutes of ice time uh, now that he's taking on a top role. That's well above his season average of, of 12 and a half. And he got an assist uh, to show for it, put four shots on goal. So if he stays in that role, this is definitely a player that you could buy buy low on uh, and might get some scoring opportunities from him uh, moving forward. And I think definitely a, a player to target. That's a great call by you, Paul. Well, and now we get to the last team in our mix. The Winnipeg Jets are a classic case of one door closing while another one opens as they lost Mark Shifley for six to eight weeks with a terrible-looking shoulder injury while they're about to welcome back Dustin Bufflin after his 10-game absence. 
that's two pretty big pieces missing for when you added up almost half of their season. So a tough blow, but they're still they were still six three and one without Big Buff in their lineup. So they are charged with proving their resilience once again. Uh, to combat the injury up front, Blake Wheeler will move to the first line center role. Liney will move up to the right wing on the first line, and Matthew Perot will move up to the second right wing slot slot in the latest uh, necessary roster shuffling there. So keep an eye on those three players in these opportunities. Well, and Kyle Connor continues to produce. He's got uh, a goal, a game in in three straight. Uh, So he's uh, doing, continuing to, to do what he has been doing all season without Shifley in the lineup. And some people might question Matthew Perot slotting into that, that first line role. Uh, he had been a, a fourth line player, but he's also all season long been on their power play. So this is a guy that knows how to score. And just because he was in a fourth line role, certainly don't want to write him off in that one game, uh, up, uh, with, uh, the top line, he got a goal, Uh, Just one shot on goal, and it was a power play goal. So same thing he's been doing all season long. His minutes were a little bit higher, but still relatively consistent to where they have been. I think this is definitely a player to buy in on. And one uh, that might be a little bit more of a flyer to take is Jack uh, Rozolovic. He got called up due to that injury. He may or may not feature in the lineup, so you're definitely going to want to watch that. Uh, But his numbers in the minors have been phenomenal. He's leading the team down there uh, in points, I believe. Uh, And so he might get a look over a Marco Dano periodically over Sean Mathias, maybe. Uh, So keep an eye on him uh, moving forward as well. All right, and uh, we get to talk about FanDuel for a bit right now. The regular season in the NFL is over, but fantasy football is still there for everyday fans. New contests are starting every week, even though uh, we're just about ready to start the playoffs. It's there's no busted seasons here. Something for everybody. Lots of contests to choose from, starting from just one dollar. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. In terms of the week 17, the playoff seedings are now set, and the conference seedings could not be more different when you look at the NFC versus the AFC. For the, the their part, the NFC has four new division winners, with the top seeds, Eagles and Vikings, led by a pair of quarterbacks who were not the first stringers to start out for them this season. Nick Foles stepped in when Carson Wentz went down with a season-ending injury a couple of weeks ago, and yet Wentz is still in the MVP conversation. Case Keenum, on the other hand, replaced Sam Bradford very early on in the campaign and guided the Minnesota club to the North Division title, so kudos to him. They'll both get the first-round buys. The Rams and Saints get home field advantage in the first round and will face the Falcons and Panthers, respectively. I'll take the home sides in those matchups in wildcard weekend. Uh, In the AFC, it's a more familiar look at the top with Patriots and Steelers getting the first-round buys. The Jags and Chiefs will host Bills and Titans, respectively. Again, I look for the home sides to prevail here. Your thoughts on Week 17, AJ, and the upcoming week in the postseason? Well, I have to give a nod to the Bills who ended that 17-season playoff drought uh, that actually dated back to when I was a wee lad living in Buffalo. Uh, so glad to see them back in the in the postseason. Unfortunately, I expect it to be short-lived. Uh, even if they get past the Jags, which is no easy task in and of itself, uh, Steelers versus New England rematch, I think, will ultimately determine the AFC. While in the NFC, I think it's a little bit more up in the air you know, if if uh, Carson Wentz was still there for the Eagles, I would put them as potentially the top team to come out of there. Um, but, you know, the the again, Minnesota, to your point, is dealing with a backup, although Case Keenum has been phenomenal. I do think this is a club that's potentially motivated to play in a Super Bowl at home. 
so I wouldn't rule them out. Uh, they would uh, be going for their f- potentially their first uh, Super Bowl win. They lost all the previous four, uh, but there's some quality teams in the NFC. The Falcons uh, could contend. Uh, you know, Saints, Rams obviously are quality squads as well. I think it's just a little bit more short up in the AFC. Over two and a half million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. You get a free six-month Rotowire subscription plus a free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which offers more than one million in cash prizes. With your first deposit on FanDuel, just visit FanDuel.com slash RW. Of course, these contests are void. We're prohibited. Let's get into our FanDuel segment. Uh, AJ, why don't you run through quickly our game schedule for tonight? It's a busy one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it starts with uh, the game of the night. No question in my mind. Tampa Bay at Toronto. You should be in line for a good one to watch, Paul, tonight. I'll be there. Uh, I I figured you would be. I can't imagine you uh, would give those tickets away to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That game's at 7 o'clock. The Lightning are the favorite, minus 125, despite being on the road. Um, To to what I said, this will be the game of the night. If you can watch this one, you absolutely should. You've got Boston at New York, uh, Bruins minus 130 in that contest. The Battle of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh at Philadelphia. The Flyers, the favorite in this one, minus 120. Uh, pretty much a home edge, although the Penguins have been terrible of late. I might be willing to actually bet on the Flyers uh, in that one if I were going to take the line. You've got Washington at Carolina. Uh, I've got the Hurricanes favored minus 125 in this one. Uh, from what I'm showing, I'm a little surprised to see that, but this is a team on the upswing. Cam Ward is expected to be the goalie uh, for that one. San Jose at Montreal, uh, uh, Canadians minus 110 in that one. That's strictly uh, a home ice edge in that one. You got New Jersey at St. Louis kicking off the eight o'clock slate uh, and St. Louis favored minus 140. Again, that one surprised me a little bit. Uh, You know, the Devils have been a solid, solid team all season long. Uh, Florida at Minnesota, wild minus 160 in that contest. You got Columbus at Dallas. Stars actually pretty big favorites in this one, minus 160. I would imagine that has to do with the fact that Corpusalo is the expected starter tonight over Bobrovsky. Uh, Late games, you got Winnipeg at Colorado, uh, Jets minus 135. L.A. at Edmonton, Oilers minus 130. Anaheim at Vancouver starts the late slate at 10 o'clock. You got the Ducks a minus 130 in that contest. And then uh, Predators at Vegas. Uh, and in that one, you've got the Golden Knights a minus 140. I would say that's probably the other game I would uh, really key in on tonight. So for me, the premier matchups are the first one, Tampa at Toronto, and the last one, Nashville at Las Vegas. That's what stands out for me. Paul, do you see much of the same? I agree with you completely, but who would have thought 20 years ago we'd be talking about Vegas and Nashville as the <laughs> dream matchup in the NHL? Tampa, Toronto, I can't wait to get to the rink to watch that one tonight. And, of course, you'll be glued to the set to watch Pitt at Philadelphia, one of the best rivalries in hockey, too. So our teams are in tough, but uh, it's going to be an exciting night, I think, around the league. Your picks first on this uh, FanDuel lineup tonight, my friend. Well, I got to start with Blake Wheeler moving over to the center position, 7,300 tonight. It's a little pricey. I I certainly understand that, Um, but there's a lot more high price options. So he actually (laughs) comes at a discount, uh, I think, and especially going up against Colorado. On the flip side, David Krejci for me, 
5,400. Uh, that's a, a real steal for a guy with two goals and two assists in his last three games. His shots on goal over that stretch is really high uh, as well. So getting pucks to the net, that's about all you can really ask for in those situations. On the wing, I like to look at uh, Patrick Line tonight. Again, capitalizing on that matchup, capitalizing on the fact that he's going to be first line over second line tonight. Uh, Joe Pavelski against Montreal, 7,300 for him. Uh, he gets Logan Couture back. And so that'll help, uh, his numbers. He's another one that's putting pucks on the net. He's got nine shots in his last three games with a goal and an assist to show for it. Uh, going to cheaper options. Then I like Riley Smith of, of the golden Knights tonight. I, I know Nashville is a tough out, but he's got five assists in the last four games. His shots on goal isn't quite there, but Honestly, trying to catch lightning in a bottle on this one for 5,500. I'll take a flyer on a guy that's been hot lately and hope, hope that that continues. And then Jasper Bratt's my cheap option at 4,700. He's tailed off a little bit in his last couple of games. Uh, no goals in his last four, just one assist to show for it. But if you look at his season long stats, this is a guy that doesn't go through too many extended slumps. Uh, and so I would imagine that he'll get either a goal, at least an assist, uh, in tonight's matchup. I, and I, I do like the matchup with St. Louis considering how leaky their defense has been, uh, and their net mining has been of late on the blue line for me. I'm going to go cam Fowler, uh, for 5,100. He's got three goals in his last four games. His shots on goal are 12 in those outings. And so pucks to the net, uh, not much more you can ask from there. He should continue to stay hot against Vancouver, who have plenty of question marks of their own. And then I talked about him earlier. Sammy Vatanen's coming in at just 4,500. I think that's a steal for what he has to offer of late. And I like the matchup as well, as I said, New Jersey at St. Louis. And then between the pipes, I'm going to save a lot of money. There's a ton of high-priced options. You've got Vasilevsky at 9,600, Holpe at 9,300. A bunch of guys in the the eight thousand range, but for me, I'm going to go all the way down to seventy eight hundred. Connor Hellubuck against Colorado. Hellubuck's numbers have been uh, fantastic all season long. He doesn't have a regulation loss since December fourteenth against Chicago. Uh, so either gets the win or an overtime loss, and that was even just a one goal allowed performance. So for me, uh, for seventy eight hundred, Connor Hellubuck an absolute steal, especially considering the matchup. All right. In terms of my lineup, I spoke about each of these guys uh, briefly, so I'll go through it fairly quickly. David Krejci comes back into the Boston lineup. I like the fact that Boston's playing a very efficient game, and uh, their their game is in order at both ends of the ice. You can't say that about the Islanders. So for $5,400, I take him in the lineup any night uh, in this circumstance. Nick Backstrom gets the Duke uh, as my second center of choice, $6,500 the price tag there. Gets to play with Ovechkin, of course, against the Carolina team that simply overmatched offensively in this one, I do think, when you talk about the top two lines in each squad. Go to my wingers. I like Brad Marchand. He's a stat sheet filler. Again, uh, heavy on. I'm going with a bit of a Boston lean with a couple of these guys. I know that. $7,600. <laughs> their game's in order. They've been on a streak, and I think it continues against another team that's going the other way. But I'll give uh, one Islander player a chance to make good. I don't mind going head-to-head against... Uh, Marshawn with Anders Lee, a guy who, if the Islanders are going to get scoring, and they do most nights anyway, Lee's always in the center of it, getting top line work with John Tavares, $6,700 his price tag. Then we jump over to a a Western matchup of note, and I like two wingers from L.A., Milan Lucic, 
the L.A. Edmonton game. Milan Lucic for Edmonton, and I oppose him with Dustin Brown of L.A. $6,300 for Lucic, $5,600 for Brown. Both are first-line wingers, and both know a little bit about this rivalry, bringing some toughness to the ice, and uh, I like them both. So we'll see if they can uh, lead it to a big scoring output in this game. Tyler Myers, Winnipeg Jets defenseman. I've talked about him for weeks now as a guy who's been consistently a source of offense from the back end, like he was in his early years in Buffalo, has a chance to continue that. The price tag, only $4,500 for a, a visitor date in Colorado tonight. And uh, I pair him with another top-pairing defenseman in Matt Dumba for $4,300. I'm surprised the price tag is so low on a couple of guys that get a lot of ice time and a lot of special teams work. So Dumba, another one who factors in Minnesota, will probably take uh, take Florida to task and end James, James Reimer's uh, recent hot streak. There's just too much going for Minnesota right now in that matchup that uh, I can shy away from that. And finally, I would have picked Halley Buck. I think he's the goalie of the night to pick, but I also like John Gibson based on the fact that Anaheim has uh, gotten healthy and uh, Vancouver's in, in some disarray. So $8,000, a pretty cheap price for a goaltender that has a high win probability there as well. Which brings us now to the lineup, op- the Rotowire Optimizer. AJ, can you go through that one pretty quickly for us? Yeah, so starts off Blake Wheeler, 7,300, likes that pick. Uh, then going to go, uh, Yanni Gord for 4,100, uh, third line player, but power play minutes for him, uh, for the Tampa Bay lightning sticking with the lightning, uh, optimizer going to use Nikita Kucherov for 9,100. That's a big price tag, but it's really hard to, to blame anybody for utilizing him. And then heavy flyer stack for the optimizer tonight starts off with Jakob Forasek. 7,600. He's been rolling of late. Wayne Simmons for 5,300. That's the two winger options from the Flyers. And then Alex Took for 3,700. Now I questioned this at first, looking at his game log, you've got him with two assists and a goal in his last four games. So that's really a steal for a guy at 3,700. So I like that pick. Now, Paul, you talked about the Philly back line and the optimizer obviously agrees with you stacking both Shane Goss's bear and Ivan Provorov that rounds out your four flyers, uh, full stack from the optimizer tonight. Goss's bear, 5,800 Provorov 43. And then the optimizer likes Connor Hellybuck tonight, 7,800. If you can't tell, that seems to be the premier matchup, premier netminder to go with tonight. And we remind our listeners, don't forget to check out our daily pods from Monday to Friday, where we'll continue to cover all four major North American sports all year round in our DFS pods, where we highlight FanDuel's best plays of the day. It's time now to talk about the stud of the week. And I am not going to go with an on-ice player. I'm going to go with off-ice and uh, feature George McPhee and Gerard Gallant, the tandem that's got the Las Vegas team just flying right now. AJ, I noted that these guys had reputations as difficult guys to play against when they were younger play active players. And it occurred to me while watching their club beat the Leafs on New Year's Eve that they've instilled the same trait in their roster with a little bit of a twist. The key ingredient here is their team speed. Every one of their players can really motor and is very willing to compete for puck possession all over the ice. To do that, you need talent and desire, and this Vegas team has those traits in spades. You see what I did there? Vegas and spades, AJ? Isn't that <laughs> It's no wonder why they're so tough to play against. They're relentless, and they're getting great goaltending to boot. A great story for this first-year club. Yeah, it was this style of play and commitment to winning every puck battle that allowed them to weather the storm when it seemed like every goalie that came in uh, was getting injured and and landing on injured reserve. 
there have been some stumbles along the way, I think, for for McPhee and Gallant, Shipashev uh, for one. But otherwise, I think they've done a phenomenal job of not just building for the future, which is obviously a priority when you're an expansion team, but they built for now as well with the team on the ice. They've got a great product, a great outlook. uh, And so hats off to both those guys uh, for what they've been able to do. And for the rant of the week, you know what? We don't have too many repeaters year over year, but can we please get rid of the shootout? I have to bring this one out again, AJ. I enjoyed the World Junior outdoor game immensely, right through to an exciting five-minute overtime period. That, of course, pitted the U.S. juniors against the Canadians, and the U.S. won. You haven't taken a dig at me for that. Maybe you feel the same way about the shootout, though. Uh, My shoulders sagged when the teams went to the shootout. In what universe does anybody think a team game on such a big stage or tournament should be decided this way. It was a gimmick when it was introduced several years ago, and it remains the same today. I take, oh, some, I, sol- I take some solace in the recent comment by Gary Bettman, though, that he won't consider four-on-four or three-on-three formats for the playoffs, so hopefully shootouts aren't on his radar to ever settle a playoff game. If he does that, I'm out. Uh, but I hope they get rid of the skills competition to settle games once and for all very soon. I'm opening up a hashtag today that says stop the shootout. That's what I have to say about that. Uh, Paul, you'll get no argument from me. I I couldn't agree with you more. I think a simple first step would be just to extend the three on three to 10 minutes. Uh, I guarantee you that most games would not make it past the 10 minute mark of three on three. Uh, I would be interested to hear what the NHLPA's stance Uh, on this would be because it's possible the players actually support using the shootout to prevent games from dragging on too far. Um, It's conceivable that that would be their stance. I'd be interested to hear from them. But I think at the end of the day, it needs to be about the product on the ice and the shootout just doesn't fit the bill in terms of quality hockey. Well, AJ, that wraps up this week's podcast, our first for 2018. Uh, Welcome our listeners to listen to podcasts with Statchman and AJ on a weekly basis. Remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholz24. That's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-24. We hope you enjoyed this show and circle back to get more roster updates, injury news, and other topical news from around the NHL the next time we get together next Tuesday for this episode of Pubcast so that you can get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contest. So long, everybody.